0: Greetings ladies and mental and welcome to today's reddit series video from the subreddit HFY called Retreat Howl Chapter 13 Part 2 Written by a lithi Dragon After lunch found Rin and Anya hunkered down in the dugouts of the grenade range projecting shields over nearby targets. Rin waited his turn while Yashai took potshots at Anya's shield. The Earl could project a decent shield, but his skill was limited, as was his reaction time. Yishai chose him to demonstrate alongside Rin to show what the base level shields of an artificer could project could do, and comparing it to what a skilled shield artificer could do. Anyo was not happy about seeing selected as a comparison. After the Duke's last shot splashed against Anyo's shield, he dropped it and gave a dismissive wave at Rin, signaling his turn. Lifting his staff, he walked through the same demonstration as Anyo gave, this time with Anyan and Asayashi providing the offensive. Once the basic set was done, they worked him through an increasingly difficult drills, testing his reaction time to snap up his shield and straining his ability to project multiple targets on different angles. He managed to protect the targets against most of the attacks. It was only the last two reaction tests to protect two targets from different directions that he failed to deflect. Impressive work, Ayat, Yushai said, giving him a nod of respect as he and Anya returned to the downrange. I'd like to take a look at your shield designs after the day is over, if you don't mind. It's more than technique than design, your grace, flicked his ears back in surprise, but I would be happy to share what I know. Excellent, Yushai flicked his ears up. I, of course, would be happy to share some more artifice designs of my own. I am particularly proud of my enhancements, spell work, he flicked an ear to the O and I officers. For now, though, the humans would like to see how well your shields work against their weapons. Care to give it a go? Of course, your Grace," he said, dipping his head with a respectful bow of his ears before heading back down range. He saw Bradford stepping up and firing line along with a few other marines. He flicked an ear at her, and she gave him a smile and a wink. Settling into position, he heard the command and put his shield over the target. There was a rattle of gunfire as several rounds slapped into the shields, stopped dead. They went through a few more drills, testing different calibers, until Wren decided the angle the shield for greater efficiency. The next salvo rounds went whirring off behind him as they deflected off the shield. The range master quickly called the ceasefire. I think we get the idea, he said. Let's call it good on shields until we can figure out how not to ricochet rounds downrange. Wren gave a sheepish look and flick of his ears while Yuhai nodded. Point taken, gunnery sergeant. Let us move to the armor enhancements. They moved to one of the fixed firing ranges where several sets of Kishman armor had gambesons that were already set up. Ayan and Sayash moved up to the firing line and projected artifices into the armor as Jetya, Yenyed, and a few marines took turns taking shots at them. We lack the spell work to make lasting enchantments to our armors and weapons like the elves do, Yushash said, and a break while the marines switched from pistols to rifles, but our active enhancements can provide a similar effect. Allowing Ivar Gambasim to have the protection of plate mail, he paused as the first rifle volley was sent down range. Of course, this comes at the cost of active manner usage and requires our artificers to reduce their offensive output accordingly, if not focus all of their efforts on it. He had a shot at the end as he heard the next volley of rounds and waited for the Marines to finish before he continued. Our standard practice is to employ shields and active enhancements for limited durations cycling them on and off as our forces engage. Major Falchok, the leading O&I officer, nodded. It sounds like you've adapted your tactics well to dealing with limited mana supply compared to the Owls. We do what we must, Yishai said, as they stepped forward to examine the results of the demonstration. With active enhancements, the gambeson was made proof against the marines' handgun rounds and most of the standard spell shards sent their way, though not the marines' rifles nor Tetia's shots. The plate and chainmail fared better, but still wasn't proof against the heavy rifle one that the marines had fired. You shy, shy, the hole punched in the plate that their heavy rifle, setting the armor plate down. He turned. Do we have another one available? We do, sir, the marine sergeant said, waving a private towards the nearby Humvee. Anjo glared at him and frozen ears, but said nothing. The royal host supplied us with plenty of samples when we asked, mostly intact, he frowned. They've got a lot of rextras right now. Ishai nodded in silence and fell as they waited for the private to return. He brought three chest plates. Two were intact and one had a rent side and melted edges. The distinctive hallmarks of the gem blade. After a brief glance at the damage, they all pointedly ignored it, and the private was sent down range to set them up. Once he was clear, Yushai cast his own enhancements and flicked his tail at the range master. The marine with the heavy rifle loaded took aim and on command put three rounds down range. Even from the firing line, it was clear that they hadn't penetrated. Setting the rifle down, he picked up another larger rifle with a large tube on top of it. He shoved the box with much larger rounds into it and manually cycled the action. Taking aim with the help of a bipod, he fired. The target fell over and he fired at the third target also knocking it over. The O&I officer took notes that the armor plates were brought back from the firing line, and they all took turns examining the damage. Looks like you can enhance plate mail to protect against 7.62, not against 388 Lupau, Major Volchek said. The first plate barely had a scratch, but the second had a hole punched through. The third had technically stopped the bullet, but it had cracked and had two-inch dent in where the bullet struck. He tapped the backside of the dimpled armor. That much deformation will still kill a man. He raised an eyebrow. How well do your enhancements work on our armor? Thirty minutes later, several volleys later, and they were all suitably impressed. I still wouldn't want to get hit by that 50 cow round. He even spread across the entire plate, It'd still probably break all your ribs. Volchuk flexed his vest and took a hit in the question, folding it near in half. The shattered remains of the plate inside crinkled like a thousand shards of sand and broken glass. And your plate's useless even if you do survive it, but, uh, damn. He shook his head, setting the vest back down. Is there anything else you wanted to demonstrate? Ishai shook his head. No, Major, that was the last we planned. Bolchek nodded. We'd all like to know more about how much energy those mana crystals can store, but that is something for the eggheads to play around with, not us today. He held out a hand to the Duke. Thank you for your time, sir. You've all given us a lot to think about, and a lot of new ideas for how to integrate and bolster each other's forces. It was my pleasure, Major, he said, taking the offered hand in the Kishman way. I haven't had the ability to play with spell work like this in ages. and we could oblige, sir, Falchuk smiled. Now, if you don't mind, I've got a report to write, sir. He saluted in the human way. Of course, Major, Yeshai said, returning it with a Kishman bow. Dropping his salute, the Major turned and departed with the rest of the O&I officers. Well, that was impressive enhancement work, Tatcher, Wren said as they all departed the range. You're still bleeding a lot of mana, though. I could see it leaking all over the place. Eh, yeah, well, you know, sometimes you just have to block force with force, he said, slamming his fist into his palm, but, um, he lowered his hands and his ears fidgeted. If you have some better spallstrucks, I'd, uh, I'd be interested in seeing them. Ren glanced at his human watch. "'It's almost dinner time, and the Duke wants to see my shield technique after we eat. "'I'll find you after that, and I can show you some of what I was taught at university.' "'Tetcher's ears poked up, and he smiled. "'Excellent! I'll see you then!' "'He thumped Ren on the back almost as hard as a human would "'and sauntered off to find Chow with his assigned company. "'With a sigh, Ren shook his head. "'I am probably going to regret this.' "'What the frick is this stuff?' Radford asked as they walked back into the barracks, waving a stock of boxes and crates that had taken up the whole corner of the more of the platoon's bunk room. We've been dual-purpose, Dubois said, standing up from his rack. Supplies are pouring in faster than they can throw up buildings to store them, so they're storing them here. Radford rolled the eyes and then paused mid-sigh. Wait, they decided to store a bunch of extra supplies in the barracks filled with marines. Are they stupid? Nope. Dubois shook his head. It ain't nothing good or worth taking. We're already checked. It's mostly crappy blankets, extra uniforms, teepee, giant rolls of rubber matting for frick knows what, and a bunch of other stupid stuff I don't even know why they sent. Dude, nobody knows what they're sending, Medicine chimed in from his rack. They just found a hole and sent crap to it, and clicked to send all things. supplies. the biggest cluster frick of all time right now. Bradford shook her head looking around the sparsely populated barracks. Ain't that the truth? Nay, hey, where's the rest of the platoon. First squad got pulled onto some extra exercise and patrol duty, and Staff Sergeant snagged up most of our squad that was hanging around, not engaging in other tasking to help out. So it's just me, Edison, and Kowalski right now. Radford raised an eyebrow, glancing at the lanky marine's empty rack, and he jerked a thumb at the stack of crates and boxes. Kowalski made a fort. Of course he did. Radford rolled her eyes and then glared at Wren when he chuckled. Shut up, or I'll put you in charge. Freck no, Rin laughed, flicking his tail at her as he walked to the rack and began pulling off his boots. Deciding that he had right idea, she trudged over to her own rack and followed suit. It had been a long day, made even longer, by the hour and a half of admin that she got pulled into after Chow. And the two hours that teach me magic like I'm a horny four year old that she sat through when she tracked Rin down afterwards. Guys like Tetya make me want to hate all men, she sighed, walking into the head with a clean change of underclothes. De Bois had killed half the lights in the room by the time she came back out, and she was just laying down when the door flew open and Gomez stomped in. Gentlemen, I have returned. Gomez, Kowalski called out from his secret corner. I've finished the fort. "'Oh, sweet. Let me see. Dude, this is awesome. I'm so freaking comfortable. Come cuddle, come cuddle!' Kowalski said that the door swung open and more marines filed in. Bradford rolled her eyes as she watched Gromaz Gomez call into the secret fort. "'Oh, this is nice!' She heard a pack slam down and Kimba piled in to start wrestling to several objections from Kowalski and Gomez. Alda walked in around the other side of the pile and climbed in from the other direction, eliciting even more shouts and objections. He touched my schlong! He touched my schlong! Ah, that's my chocolate starfish! girlish squeals and laughter echoed through the room. I can't run away! I can't run away! Ugh, he's giving me a cripple nipple! Hey, hey, hey! No biting! No biting! Radford sighed, rolling over. Fricking children! Hey! she shouted. Assault each other quietly, some of us are trying to sleep. Yes, ma'am, several marines chorused back, followed by immediately by... Oh, prick! not that one. I understand that they have an incredible weapons and machines, Sayash said. But people are not machines. The health of a living organism is a function of its life essence and the proper balance of all humors. You can't balance the humors with machines. And without magic, they have no way to engage with the life essence. He shook his head. They might have some novel ways of controlling the humors, but I do not for a minute believe that they can even better healing practices than us. Bradford glanced at the rest of the squad. Half of them were already asleep in their chairs, while the other half with whom were stifling snickers as the Kishman nobles quiet rant. She raised an eyebrow at Rin, and he studiously gave no more response than the slight twitch of his ear. Today's instructor walked in and introduced himself as HM1 Ramirez, Radford made a point of kicking the chairs of every sleeping marine she could reach. We're all due for our first aid refresher training and the kills two birds with one stone. I don't want to have to sit through this all over again. Once again, the PowerPoint came on and Ramirez started walking through the basic first aid principles and practices and combat triage. Radford noticed Shayesh sliding along through most of it, but his ears flicked with impatience and boredom. She wasn't sure which. He did a quick quirk of the ears when Ramirez stressed the importance of marking the time on the tourniquet was applied. Remember, a tourniquet can be safely applied for up to two hours, though, when the situation permits, the needs for it to be re-evaluated before then. If a limb is severed, if it were at all possible, attempts to retrieve it. With modern medicine, a limb can be successfully reattached as long as the six to twelve hours later, depending on the limb and the circumstances. All of the Kishmen except Rin sat up straight, their ears alert. What? That? How? Sayesh asked. Surgery, Ramirez said. Modern surgical techniques allow us to reattach bone and muscle and even nerve tissue. It's a narrow time window, and depending on the cause and the amputation may require multiple additional surgeries to fully repair the damage. Even then, full control isn't always a guarantee, but many cases see a full recovery. It's true, Kowalski said. My uncle zipped off three of his fingers with a table saw once, and he threw them in his beer cooter, wrapped up his hand in a paper towels and duct tape, and then went to the hospital with them. after he sobered up the next morning. Doc stuck them back on and they worked just fine, until he mashed them in a wood splitter a couple years later. Everyone gave Kowalski a sidelong glance as he shrugged it off. Saez shook his head, his ears cocked in disbelief. I've heard of rare miracle cases of limbs being severed in the presence of a powerful healer, who was able to immediately place it back on and apply extensive healing artifices, But even then, it's no guarantee. This... How is this possible? It requires microsurgery with specialized equipment, which isn't easy, but if the amputee can get to a hospital or medical facility in time, the amputee can usually be saved. But how? Do you just sew it back on? Well, Miramira Mira shrugged. Yes? Saiesh's eyes went wide as his ears swept against the head in horror. If you can wait through the remainder of the battlefield medicine training, my lesson plan covers the subjects that might help you better understand the process. Sayesh only nodded. His ears were still flat against his head as he started past the presentation. Bradford glanced at the other Marines who all shrugged and chuckled. It was the most entertaining first aid training that they had so far, and they hadn't even brought out the CPR dummies for people to do awkward things with. "'People are crazy,' Rin said, leaning into a whisper in Bradbe's ear. "'You people,' she whispered back. Her mock outrage buried a grin that she couldn't quite repress. He rolled his eyes, giving her a dismissive flick of the ear. The lecture moved on to other types of basic first aid and specific wound treatment. Sayash broke out in his reverie when Ramirez went over the hazards of sucking chest wounds and their proper first aid. His ears quirked up, and he started to take more interest. Finally, Ramirez moved to the basic anatomy and vital organ function. The anatomy lesson, which included both male and female comparisons, was more detailed than the Kishmen were comfortable with, though Bradford had to roll her eyes at a few rebelled comments from her own marines, and of course, Tetscher. How was he not that that crap slapped out of him by now? Now, as I said, this is just a basic overview of human organs, their functions, and the first aid treatment. There are a number of smaller and lesser distinct organs that I haven't even covered, but it should give you a basic understanding. I know there are going to be a number of differences between human and Kishman anatomy, and understanding those differences will be vital in being able to provide effective first aid especially with the kind of injuries that we see on the battlefield. He waved a hand at Sayash and the other artificers. I understand that you're probably not experts on the subject, but any insights that you can provide, even the basic organ description and the placement, can make a huge difference. The other nobles exchanged glances, but Shias ignored them. He was leaning forward, his attention fixed on the anatomy diagrams. The level of detail you have here is amazing, he shook his head. The level of focus and direction a healing artificer could employ with such knowledge as you describe, he shook his head. What of your humors? He flipped his hand to Ramirez. I know yours must be different than ours, but if you understand this much about how a person works, surely you must know much about controlling the humors and bringing them back into balance. The corpsman started to laugh and quickly turned into a cough. (coughs) He cleared his throat Um. We haven't followed that theory in um, two or three hundred years at least. It has nothing to do with real medicine or biology. Sayash pushed himself to his feet, leaning on the table in front of him. I'll have you know that we have done several studies documenting the effects of humors on the body and their proper balancing and management. Proper knowledge and treatment of humors is absolutely a vital part of modern medicine. All of the marines were completely awake and staring in rapt attention. Yeah, in the Dark Ages, Ramirez snapped back. If you have no real knowledge or understanding of biology or physiology, the Kishman nobles' ears flared up in outrage, but Ramirez held up his hand. You know what? No, I'm not having this argument. This thing's connected to the internet. He pointed at a laptop connected to the overhead projector. I'll just pull up a video that'll give you a crash course in the science that we've done on this. The PowerPoint was minimized and with a few clicks and keystrokes, Ramirez had brought up YouTube. Sayash sat down and all the Kishmen leaned forward to watch the magic of human computer technology. Forty-five minutes later and several basic biology videos later and Ramirez called a halt to the YouTubes. The Marines had all fallen asleep and some of the Kishmen had zoned out. But Shiash broke from the rapt attention as Ramirez closed the last video and sat back in mild shock. This... this challenges everything that we know. He shook his head. No, this... this... "'We know nothing.' "'Lord Artificer,' Bradford spoke up. "'It wasn't that long ago that we knew as much as you did,' she nodded at Rin. "'From what second Artificer Ayat has told me about the university attended, "'you're about where we were two or three hundred years ago, for the most part. "'If not for the war, it sounds like you were on the verge of a renaissance, "'a golden age of learning and advancement. "'We know a lot, sure, but it wasn't that long ago that we didn't know as more than you do, "'and we're willing to share a lot of that knowledge.' Shayash raggled his ears. Amazing. This could revolutionize so much, he sat up again, looking at Ramirez. Please, tell me about your medicine. Well, I can't teach you everything. Our doctors spend years in college to earn their medical degrees, and still only have a fraction of it all, but I can finish the first aid lesson. He glanced at the sleeping marines and gave Bradford a meaningful glance. She kicked Edison's chair. The mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell, he shouted, snapping awake Bradford snorted a laugh, and kicked a couple more chairs within reach. Soon, the rest of the squad was roused from the nap, and the lesson continued. Lunch was another Kishman-only meal. Part of their in dock briefing was the first day had made it clear that they would be given plenty of time to socialize amongst themselves, away from the humans, though with their tight schedule the times weren't all consistent. In practice, the nobles and commoners segregated themselves after the first dinner, and while Rin enjoyed catching up with Yinyad, Tetya's quality of conversation left much to be desired. After lunch, they hit the gym, as the humans called it. It was a new facility special built for the artificer integration, though the entire battalion was taking advantage of it was not being used for that purpose. Today, conveniently, was Echo Company's day at the gym, and after joining his squad for a quick change at the barracks, he joined the other artificers at the gym. Walking inside, they found an open room with a modest collection of bizarre machines. Another wide-open space with stack of foam mats, the place smelled of human sweat and chemical scent as he encountered at the human medical facility. Air circulation was not great, but it was made bearable by a great spinning fans that pushed through the building. This is going to be another demonstration in human physical superiority, isn't it? Anyo asked, his ears swept low. Eh, it's more a test of your physical abilities, Lieutenant Mayers said, walking in with the rest of the first platoon. Even with all our technology, war still comes down to Grunt's doing hard work on the ground. We know what we can do in the field. We need to know what you can do. Anyo flicked his ears but said nothing in response as they filed in. Ren bowed himself beside Bradford again and realized that she was looking entirely too excited again. What streaked your tail? he asked, giving her a sidelong glance. Dude, after we run through some basic drills and strength tests, you guys get it's free PT. I haven't gotten a good lift in ages. He quirked an ear at her. Are all humans this excited about physical labor? Nah, just gym rats, she said. And I'm not really even good, good gym rat, but it takes a lot of work to maintain these guns. She flexed an arm at him, and he rolled an ear at her. She grinned back. Not like these frickheads. She waved her at the male marines around her. They picked something up and put it down once and pack on the muscle. It's a lot harder for us women to put on and maintain muscle mass, at least for humans. No idea about Kishman. Ren shrugged, not really understanding what she was talking about. Never mind how humans and Kishman compared on the subject. The call to fall in came as they stepped into the open area of the gym and Rind soon found himself doing familiar warm-up exercises. An hour later, and his guzzling water in a bottle someone had handed to him, his arms and legs and the strength and consistency of overcooked noodles, and he sat watching Bradford with increasingly wide-eyed amazement as she lay on the bench press, repeatedly lifting more weight than he had been able to lift once, and he had the best strength of out of all that Kishman present. Not that that's saying much, he thought, None of these lords did much physical labour or mealy training, and Tetya wasn't much better, though he was better. Only yin was any competition, and I have half a hand on him. Bradford shoved the bar up and to its rack and decidedly unladylike grunt, and sat up. Guzzling water from a bottle, she waved at Stephens, to who was spotting her and put one more, more weight on. Tetya sat nearby looking at it exhausted as Rund felt, watching Bradford with open amazement. He figured the only reason Bradford tolerated it, other than just showing him up in general, was the fact that he had finally just shut up. God's jabs, Edison said, moseying over to the towel with his shoulders. That's... He glanced at the weights on the bar and the weight stiffens was adding. A hundred and forty. Yep. Four reps. Yep. God, you're such a freaking bro. You jealous I can lift more than you, pencil arms? (laughs) Ha, no... I do what I need to do to stay in regs, but I haven't abandoned my nerd heritage. Radford laughed as she laid back and down and started another rep. Damn jabs, the mondo crap's done, Davy said, joining the group. He had a towel around his shoulders and his shirt was soaked, but the sweat on his face looked like it had already dried. You don't have to sacrifice your social life 24-7 for this crap. What the frick is that supposed to mean? She grunted, threw the bar back into the rack. She sat up, waving at Stephens to up the weight. Just saying, you're putting all this work in for like no fricking reason. Makes everyone else look bad. If you weren't a non-stop go, you can have even more of a social life. Radford sat up and gave him a glare. Do you know how many women made it through the infantry pipeline ahead of me? She paused for an answer but clearly didn't expect one and gave it herself when he looked at her cluelessly. 26. I have to bust my rear extra hard every day just to prove that I deserve to be here, that I'm not just a diversity hire or making rank on my knees. If you, of all people, think I'm working too hard, I'm probably not working hard enough. Not that you think as hard work is actually all that hard. She lay back down on the bench, grabbing the bar and heaving it up and down and back up. Her face scrunched from anger as much as the physical effort. ''Yeah, well,'' Davies spluttered, ''it's not like arms or what'll help you. Anyways, you're better off doing squats.'' Bradford slammed the bar back into the rack with a heavy clunk. She sat up and glared at him, her face contorted anger. ''Go freck yourself,'' she snarled, before standing up and stomping off. ''Not cool, bruh, not cool.'' Stephen shook his head at Davies as he pulled a disposable rag out of the plastic tub and started wiping down the bench and bar. ''You're a dick, man.'' Edison said, What? Davies said, am I wrong? Yeah, you are, Edison said and walked off. Even Tetcher was giving Davies a sidelong glance. As Edison walked past him, Ring caught Kowalski's eye. The lanky marine had clearly seen the whole thing, and without words or ears, an understanding passed between them. A twitch of his eyes in Bradford's direction sent Rin following after her. He grabbed the water bottle that she had left by the bench and stopped to refill it and grab a towel for her. Outside, she was already out of sight, but her scent still lingered in the air enough for him to get a direction. Following a slower pace, he found her at the PT track, which hadn't really seen any further progress in construction. She was running around the plough roadbed, doing laps. Wren found a reasonably comfortable spot that still had grass and sat down to watch and wait for her to finish. They were on their own time until chow, and that wasn't more than an hour. Bradford kept running for almost twenty minutes, doing several laps around the track. Her face tight and her eyes distant, Rin entertained himself by planning some basic artifice structures to teach Tetya and waited for her to finish. Eventually, as she rounded the corner back to where she was sitting, she slowed to a jog and then to a walk as she left the track. Gasping for breath, she flopped down on the grass beside him. Hi! You forgot this, he said, offering her the water bottle and the towel. "'You're a goddamn hero,' she said, taking both immediately, sucking down several gulfs of water. She sat up and sprayed more water over her head to help her cool herself off. "'Thanks,' she said after another long drink. "'Any time,' he said, ending the minor projection artifice that was using to play the spell struts. He sat quietly as she started drying off the sweat and water off her face, looking over the barely started construction site. "Ugh," Bradford groaned into her towel and flopped back onto the grass, He always spins me up, and I don't know why. Ren turned back to look at her, both ears facing her. One in inquiry. I've been stuck with him since freaking boot camp, she sighed. He was a crap bag in boot camp, he was a crap bag in infantry school, and he was nothing but a buddy freaking crap bag here. She clenched her fist and stabbed it into the ground. I shouldn't freaking care what he says, but somehow he knows exactly how to get under my skin, he snorted. I'm pretty sure that he doesn't even know and do it on purpose. Wren tilted his head and watched her rise, both ears still focused on her. She glanced at him and then shook her head, staring up at the sky. One of the other guys can make a joke and I'll laugh and it'll be funny. Just friends giving each other crap and I'll give it right back. But Davies, he can say the exact same thing. She clenched her fist and her teeth and the whole body tensing and it's like goddamn nails on a chalkboard. With another sigh, she relaxed again, waving her hand at the sky. Part of me kind of feels bad about it because he's always been that way, and maybe he's just got some social awkwardness or something going on that he just doesn't know how to say things without adding some creep factor into it. She shook her head, but at the same time, I know he's a freaking creep. I have overheard him making comments about me and other women in the battalion when he didn't think I was around and most of the time, when he tries joking around like the rest of the guys, he doesn't say it the same way. Bradford pushed herself up on her elbows, meeting his gaze. His right ear twitched as a helicopter rumbled overhead, but swung right back to face her. Like just now, when I was lifting, she jerked her thumb in a vague direction of the gym. Edison came over and gave me crap, and I gave him crap right back. Just two friends ragging on each other. We both laughed, it was fun. She shook her head. Then Davies comes over and tries doing it too, like he always does. She added through her teeth, because if one thing the guy starts making jokes, then there's an opening into the conversation. He'll butt in and try making the same joke himself. She clenched her fist for a moment and then shook it away. Wren glanced at her fist and then back at her eyes, shifting so that he didn't have to twist quite so much to look at her. But it's almost never friendly crap-talking. There's always something in it that puts you down or puffs himself up. Or some not so subtle innuendo. She flopped back onto the grass. Ugh. He acts like I'm busy with my rear for no freaking reason. Like he doesn't freaking get it. She threw her arms up into the air. Frick. Even big dumb freaking Kowalski gets it. Gets how much harder I have to burn my rear. How much extra crap I have to put up with. She laughed. Honestly, he acts like my brothers sometimes, and he'll never admit it, but I know he's stamped down hard on some of that crap that people have tried to give me since I got here. She dropped her arms back down. Davies, though, he just doesn't freaking get it. Well, one, she waved her hand, he doesn't understand working hard in the first place, never mind working hard for the Corps and to make a career. But beyond that, he doesn't understand how much harder it is for me and other women in the infantry right now. How much extra crap do we have to deal with just to prove that we deserve to be here? Because we're the first woman to have been allowed into the infantry. She brought both hands up to her head and scrubbed her scalp. Just breaking into the first place had been a battle, justifying my right to be here. And fitting in with the rough and tumble culture surrounding the people who don't understand that being friendly and goofing around don't mean I'm flirting and want to frick. She blew out her heavy breath, massaging her temples with the heel of her palms. And Davies is the only one who the whole goddamn squad who doesn't freaking get it. She snorted again, and we were almost freaking rid of him too. After that stunt he pulled with Kowalski, even the squad basically shut him out. She glanced to the side. Well, except Stephens, but it's literally impossible for him not to be friends with everyone. She shook her head. But anyway, he got shut out of the whole squad. Prick, the whole platoon, the whole goddamn company knew what he did and he didn't like all the crap that he was getting for it, so he tapped out on some bullcrap medical excuse. She sighed, and then the war just declared, and all the bullcrap medical excuses got cancelled, and now he's back. She looked at Wren, and to be completely honest with you, I'm surprised that Kowalski hasn't beat the crap out of him yet. Ren frowned. What did he do? Oh, you wouldn't know it all. She sat up, leaning forward to tell him a story. All right, so you guys have something like NJP... Non-judicial punishment, where the CEO of a unit can hand out punishments to marines who are doing stupid crap and breaking the rules without sending them to a full court-martial. He nodded. It's pretty standard practice for a commander to sit in judgment over his men. So, um, Kowalski has been an NJP three times. She held up three fingers to switch to two. The first two, when his own freaking fault, standard marine did stupid thing, got caught, sent to NJP type crap. Busted down in rank both times. I think the second time he did it on purpose to get busted down in rank, but whatever. First two times, all him. He pricked up, went to NJP, took his snicks, and moved on. The third one, however, not so much. So Kowalski was on duty and got a call from the buddies in the second platoon. It was a Saturday night and they were out drinking because, and they didn't have a ride. So Kowalski left his post to go get them, which would have been fine if he wasn't on watch, and we'd much rather send someone with duty van to go pick your rear up than having someone get pulled over drink driving. Or worse, Rin quoted an ear at a confusion. Yeah, driving drunk's illegal. Remember how Kowalski drove in a van. Now imagine him doing it drunk. Oh his ears swept back in horror as the thought we would have all died. Yep, along with half of everyone else on the highway and that's why it's illegal, and why we tell people to call if they need a ride, which is exactly what happened, and everything's fine at this point. Okay, Ren nodded. What went wrong? Well, for one, Kowalski didn't actually tell anyone he was leaving, just hopped in the van and left. Technically not right, but playing in a hurry to make sure that his buddies didn't drink drive, card would have got him out of it with nothing more than a, well, make sure you tell someone next time. She rolled her eyes. The big problem, though, was that Kowalski's buddies in the second platoon, they decided that it was only two in the morning and that there was plenty of party time left in the night. So they hopped in one of their cars and drove to another party and they heard of. Made it there without wrecking or getting pulled over, and after an hour or so, Kowalski finally catches up with them and takes them home and heads back to the base. She sighed. Unfortunately, Davy saw him out in town at the bar the guys were originally at, and then later at the party they drove to and he reported them. But he didn't do anything wrong, Ren frowned, and his ears quirking. Not really, no, but he technically abandoned his post. But according to Davies, who was also drunk at the time, he saw Kowalski partying and hanging out with a group of girls and having a drink or two, and did this all while using the government vehicle. So they took Davies' word over Kowalski's? No, Bradford shook his head. Kowalski didn't contest it, except for the drinking part, he was seen at a couple of the other bars before he found his buddies at the house party, because his buddies had stopped at those bars too, along the way. So, it wasn't just Davy's word out of the mingling. But why didn't he contest it? It sounds like he was doing the right thing. Because if he told the truth, then Command would have found out that he was driving drunk, and he and these three guys who rode along with him would have gone under NJP for it. She sighed, and Kowalski is very firmly of the belief that you don't snitch on your buddies. So he took the fall for them. She leaned forward, and here's the kicker. Davies knew that he was there, picking up his buddies, because he asked Kowalski what he was doing at the party while they were leaving. Wow, Ren's ears popped up and then swept back, so he just uh, tried to get him out in trouble on purpose. Yeah... Kowalski and Davis have butted heads since Davies and I reported to the battalion, and Davies has a thing with their way of vindictively false rules against other people, and he'll try to skate out himself. Wren snorted. Such a wonderful gentleman. Yeah, she said, rolling her eyes. He's a real charmer, but watch out for him. He's not the one you want to turn your back on. Noted, he said with a nod. Radford sat back and sighed. So, um... Uh, Sorry for ranting at you. They're, uh, I just, were uh, real spun up, you know. It's fine, Rin shook his head, flicking it away with his ear. Dishmen get worked up like that too, and I know what it's like to be in the world and not welcome in. Young Hanai University is attended mostly by wealthy merchants and aristocrats, and I'm the son of a humble shopkeeper. His tail curled and his ears swept back in a number of unpleasant memories. I had to adapt to fit in, give no hint of my origins for them to pick up on. Mimic their mindset and attitudes, he snorted and looked at the side honestly in many ways, the royal host was less brutal. He looked back at Bradford. It's aggravating, even more, so when you don't have someone to share your frustrations with. People can be real dicks sometimes, can't they? She said, giving him a jaded look. Indeed, he gave her a single sharp nod. so thanks for listening, she said as she leaned forward and slightly and reached her hand up, patting his shoulder. It helped and I really appreciate it. Any time, he said, flicking his ears up to giving her a smile. His ears flicked down with a mischievous twist. Except uh, when we are in battle. Oh, frick off, she said, turning her shoulder to pat into a shove. He stuck his tongue out at her and she laughed. Yes, she flicked an ear at her and grinned. Anyway, ciao? He looked down at his stomach and rumbled and they both laughed. Um, yes, Ciao he said, looking back up at her. Good, she plucked her PT uniform. Shower first, then chow, actually. But definitely chow. I'm freaking starving. Sounds like a plan, he nodded. Dibs on the shower first, though. I take longer to dry. Oh, fine, she grumbled, rolling her eyes and giving him a smile. She stood up and then reached out to pull him up for his feet because his worn-out muscles had all tightened up. A few minutes stretching later and they were walking back to the barracks. The Kishmen spent the next day in a series of seminars mostly focusing on battlefield technology that they needed to be familiar with, but also highlighting general human technological capabilities and a few industrial technologies in particular that America would be willing to trade. There were a few things that Rin found interesting or enlightening, but it was mostly a rehash of the things he'd already seen or experienced. Until, that is, he discovered memes. And most specifically, when Bradford showed him her phone during the break, he discovered that he himself had become a meme. Look at these dude, you're famous. She leaned over, showing him her phone. He looked down and his ears shut up. It was a picture of him from the day at the beach with the empty bag of cheese puffs on his head. Words had been overlaid and Bradford helpfully translated. This one says, take me to your leader, she snickered, swiping across her phone screen to show him another one. When you're sent to invade Earth but given two dollar budget. Ha! <laughs> she scrolled to another. When you're sent to invade Earth but you get drunk on cheese doodles instead. Ha <laughs> ha Attack of the furries. She put her hand on her mouth to stifle a snort when she swiped down and the countless images flew past. Oh god, there's thousands of them! Run's ears shot up in alarm and as if he was honest, a little amusement. But as images continued to flash across his phone screen, they slowly swept back in horror. How many people have seen these? Radford stopped swiping through her phone and looked at him. Everyone! She looked at him dead in the eye. To seven and a half billion humans, you are now officially known as the cheese doodle alien. Gods, above and below, he said, lowering his head into his hands. It's a gay okay, man, she said, patting him on the shoulder. Someone will post a picture of a Corky doing something absolutely freaking adorable next week, and they'll forget all about you. He lifted his head up enough to look at her. You people are insane. He put his head back in his hands, and I have a headache now. Their training and integration continued through the weekend, with Saturday focusing on a demonstration of hand-to-hand combatatives. Ren, Techa, and Yen Yed all demonstrated standard pike combat techniques, and Ren gave a basic rundown of pike formation principles. The nobles brought out their swords and ran a few sparring matches in which Anyo showed himself to be particularly talented swordsmen. Then, they shifted to -to hand-to-hand combat. The marines gave a basic rundown of the Marine Corps martial arts, including a number of demonstrations, and then an interspecies sparring began. Rin and Yinyed held their own, both having plenty of experience tussling as boys, but couldn't match the techniques or the raw power of the humans. Techa also displayed a few tricks. He was easily overpowered by the marines, but they called him Scrappy. The nobles, predictably, all gave embarrassingly poor showings, with exception of Duke Yishaya. With a little deceit, he lured his opponent into a sense of overconfidence and then nearly pinned him in a series of surprisingly skilled maneuvers until the human managed to get his feet under him and stood up with Yushai clinging to his back and fell backwards onto him. The general assessment was that the Kishmen had scraps but were short on skills and training and the regular infantry might bear better. Sunday, they finally got a day off and were given a holiday routine. After breakfast, Bradford left the several marines to make the run to the exchange stall that had been recently set up at the Air Force side of the base, Ren returned to the barracks, sitting down at the corner of the common room to play his new ocarina. A few other marines of the first platoon were hanging out, but they were all fixated on playing games and big screens that had been set up. Ren watched in fascination as he played. About mid morning, Sir Yash stepped into the common area. He glanced around and after a moment's hesitation, walked over to Ren's corner, sitting down next to him. My lord, Ren said, sitting up and setting the ocarina on his lap. Is there something I can do for you? Sayesh's ears swiveled around and he shrugged. To be honest, second artificer, I am at a loss. I uh, have nothing to do. I have no campaign plans to manage, no supplies to organize. I don't even have a game to play, and there's certainly no socializing to be had. He shook his head. Not in the sense that I'm accustomed to. Ren suppressed a smirk, his ears twitching in amusement. You're bored. Incredibly, Sayesh sighed. You could always ask to join the games, Rin said, flicking an ear at the marines. Sayash snorted, please. I wouldn't know my tail from my haversack. You might be surprised, Rin said with a smile, bringing the ocarina to his lips and twiddling about for a short tune. Have you tried them? Rin snorted, giving him an impish flick. Gods know, I wouldn't know my tail from my haversack. Sayash chuckled and then glanced away with a sigh. That still leaves me with nothing to do. Well, what would you like to do? Ren asked. Surely you have some hobby. Hmm, he muttered and leaned forward. What I really would like to do is learn more about their medicine. It's, um, his ears twirled a loop. Amazing that they are both able to accomplish, or without any magic at all, their knowledge of anatomy and physiology and the things below them. It, it's incredible. It seems you have yourself a hobby, my lord, Ren said, flicking an ear at him. Well, yes, Sayesh said, his ears lifting and his tail swinging up in pride. I'm quite talented at healing magic, if I do say so myself. You could call it a hobby, I suppose, and I've always wanted to study the subject in great detail and practice it. Then what are you doing in the infantry? We always need in talented healers. The noble snorted. My family wouldn't have it. Not enough honor or glory in it, according to them, he sighed. At least I'm able to provide some succour to my men if they are wounded. He started to space for a moment. But after the war, I shall have earned enough honor that my family can't say a word, and I shall be free to pursue the human medicine. His ears perked up. Just imagine what could be achieved with our knowledge of medicine and... He looked down and waved his hands at himself. The body of how it works at all, combined with the proper understanding of the healing arts. Just with the knowledge alone, a healer could do so much more. Never mind the tools that they say that they have. They let them see inside your body... They do have them, Rin said. I did magic inside one dinosaur visited Earth last week. I saw everything inside me. Incredible. He swung his ears towards Rin and looked at him. How did it work? Rin shrugged. Not a clue. Hm, Sayash nodded, looking back across the room. Of course, there is so much to have that we can't even comprehend. I wonder if we might ever be able to catch up. He shrugged his ears. Still, I would love to learn more. Why don't you go ask their heathers? Ren asked, turning to him. If you stay out of their way, I'm sure you'll find someone of their medical center to teach you, especially if you were to teach them the peculiarities of medicine and anatomy in return. That, uh, that is a brilliant idea. He shook his head. Above and below, why didn't I think of that? He stood up. I'm gonna go and do just that. He turned and then paused. Um, uh, do you happen to remember the way? Everything has all been jumbled up in the past week. It has been busy, Wren said, happily giving him directions, with a nod of thanks Sayesh departed. Wren settled back in his seat and went back to playing his ocarina, having developed some new respect for the young noble. That evening, most of the entire company was gathered up in a local lecture hall for a movie night as the projector had finally been installed. Bradford sat next to Wren along with a couple others from the squad and handed him a bag of puffy white things that smelled of salt and oil. We won, she declared. The whole squad cheered. Why do we win? he asked, sniffing the bag. They're playing Mulan, he grinned, snagging a couple of puffs from the popping them into her mouth and crunching loudly. Why are we playing Mulan? he asked, as the Marines in front of him. Run recognized him as being the second platoon. Because it's tradition, Private, Rabbit snapped. Now shut up and watch the goddamn movie. Aye, Sergeant, the young Marine said, spinning back to his seat. What is this? Run asked, holding up one of the poofs. It's popcorn, Edison said. Traditional movie food. Run quirked an ear at it and popped it in his mouth. It crunched between his teeth and the salt and buttery oil flavor exploded across his tongue, and decided that he rather liked popcorn. The door to their left opened and Y'shai and the Kishman assigned to the other companies filed in. Apparently movie nights are a battalion thing now, Kimber muttered. We did take only room and working projector on our side of the base, Dubois said and it's a good cultural exchange, Edison added. The nobles found seats next to the company's offices, but Yen Yad and Tetya made their way over to Run and found seating nearby. The projector kicked on and the lights were dimmed, and the chatter filled the room quieted to a low murmur. Bradford leaned over. It's an animated movie, so it's not real, and they took some liberties with reality, and it was made more for kids in mind, but the story is based on real. Mulan is a legendary figure in China, one of the oldest nations on Earth, who lived over a thousand years ago. There's a live-action version that's coming out soon. It's definitely more for adults and looks like a lot of fun, but it'll never replace the animated version. It's a classic. Several different spectacles were displayed on the screen, which was just empty, white wall, and then an image of a rodent person was drawn, holding up a ship's wheel. Then another image, and then another and another, in increasingly rapid succession until it seemed as if the drawing was moving, accompanied by a crackling whistle. It's, um, it's a sophisticated zoetrope. More drawings were shown, much cleaner, music began, Rin tilted his head in interest, along with the rest of the Kishmen, and popped another popcorn into his mouth. As the movie progressed, Rin heard Yinyad comment on how there were some vague similarities between Tainish culture and style and the Kishman Kali across the Eastern Ocean. Rin was particularly surprised when the Marines started singing along with the songs. They especially enjoyed the We Are Men song. Wren was enthralled by the story. Until halfway through, he reached into the bag and found no more popcorn. Looking down, in disappointment, he noticed that Bradford still had plenty of hers left. He turned to her, giving her sad eyes and ears. She stopped my chew, glancing at him, and looked away and then glanced back. God damn it, she whispered, and offered him some of her bag. His ears perked up and he grinned, and he immediately grabbed a handful and stuffed it into his mouth. But you're not getting it all. Munching happily, he glanced about the room. The humans were mostly engaged watching the movie, and the Kishmen were all fixated. Tetchup, in particular, was leaning forward in fascination. The movie progressed, and they all booed the villain and cheered Mulan and her gang. Much to Rin's satisfaction, he was able to eat most of Bradford's bag of popcorn when she reached into her bag to grab some more, only to find it empty. She gave him a dirty glare, but he merely grinned in return, munching on the last of it. Once the movie ended and the lights came up, she got her revenge by stuffing an empty bag onto his face. Rin stared straight ahead for a moment and then proceeded to make the best of the situation by licking the buttery residue of the inside of the bag. Oh God damn it! Bradford laughed, yanking the bag off his head. "You're a jerk,". "You're the one who shoved the bag on my head," he said, wagging his ears as if licking the butter off his snout. He glanced around and noticed that most of the Marines and all of the kishmen were filing out, but Tetcher was still staring at the blank screen. Bradford followed his gaze and raised an eyebrow. "Hey, Tetra, you awake? Movie's over." The Kishman seemed to be startled back to himself and took a breath, glancing around and then turned to look at Bradford. You'll celebrate the story, he asked, his voice lacking his normal, artificially manly deep tone, of this woman who takes a man's role. Yes, of course, Prattford said, Mulan is probably the most famous, but there are many other examples, like her, through our history. In the modern day, we recognize women as equal to men. She waved at herself. So long as we can do the job, there is nothing that we're not allowed to do. I see, Tetya said, his ears drooping in consternation as he frowned. What's the matter, Tetya? Bradford asked, can't handle the thought of a woman chasing your tail. Tetch's ears popped back up after he shook himself out of whatever funk he was in. Oh well, you know, he said, putting on his th- deep voice again. I always have women chasing my tail. It's such a problem, I, uh, well, I almost have to change my identity sometimes. I had to join the army just to get away from them all. Right, sure you did, Radford laughed, shaking her head as she stood up. She tapped Rin's shoulder. Come on, she said. You'll want to get plenty of sleep. Tomorrow's going to be another busy day. More running, he asked, giving her a sad ears and eyes. Yes, more running, she said. Dash, he whined. End of chapter. And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope that you enjoyed